This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. My name is Doris Gilbert. When was the first time you heard about type 1 diabetes? Oh my goodness. Um, I think way back in about 1974, uh, when my daughter was not feeling well. Lori was drinking a whole lot. She was six years old. But we were on a vacation in Yosemite and wasn't home. So, you know, that wasn't, maybe she was scared of bears or something. So uh, that didn't surprise us too much. We were camping. And then we, we came across the desert. Well, it was hot. We, everybody was drinking a lot. Then she started school, and it was a new school. Well, she had stomach aches. Well, you know, she was nervous probably. It's a new school with new kids. But then she started feeling ill, and she just wasn't right, and so we took her to the doctor. Her blood sugar was about 800 at that time. What were those first few days like? She couldn't leave the hospital until we learned to give her shots, and she had been giving them, I think, in the leg. And I thought, well, you know, she has to learn to have them in the arms, too. So here's this little skinny arm. And she was just screaming. So it was tough, but very tough. But I had to. People say, I, I could never give myself shots. Well, what choice do you have? You learn, you do. And in those days, it wasn't quite as tiny as the needle is now. Oh, my goodness, she was so artistic and, and um, creative, and she loved all the arts. Did she go to college? She went to Cal Arts, and she may had a double major in art and theater, and she was in screenwriting. And then uh, she, she, her health was, was fine then. When she graduated, um, she worked for a while, and then... She uh, entered the screenwriting program, master's program at UCLA. She was thrilled to get in. They, they had a lot of applicants, many, many applicants, and only a few were selected. But uh, by that time, her health was, was uh, deteriorating. Uh, the semester started, and she was in the hospital. And she said to start about a week or two late and try to catch up. And, and so on, and she wasn't able to finish her degree. It got so she couldn't even, she couldn't work, she couldn't go to school, she couldn't even volunteer because she didn't know that she would be um, healthy for, you know, a day. One of her biggest problems was gastroparesis, and that is a situation where there's a paralysis of of the GI tract, so that. The insulin is expecting that your food is going to go travel down and be absorbed into the bloodstream, but it wasn't. It would sit in her stomach. And then it would, she'd vomit a lot. So you'd be riding in a car, and she'd say, get over to the side, and we might not even be able to get to the side before she'd throw up all over the car. So anyway, that, that was very, very painful and very debilitating for her. I had a physical, and I didn't get the results, and I waited and waited, and six weeks later, I called and asked for results, lab results. Oh, my goodness, I saw my blood sugar was, I don't know, 149 or something, and that wasn't normal. Fasting, I think. Um, so, whoa. I, I had a good doctor, too, but 
you know, people are human, and he, I guess, didn't get to go over it. Did you, you know, call your doctor and say, hey, I think something's wrong? Yes, I did, yeah. So uh-huh. you sort of self-diagnosed right. diabetes. And I had a different feeling. I didn't feel a, a sense of doom because I didn't think my situation was going to be like Lori's at all. I thought I'd just be a typical person with type 2 diabetes. <laughs> but then, you know, it turned out to be type 1. How did it feel to be diagnosed with type 1 while your daughter was having so many issues with mm. it? Um, I have to say it was, I had a sense of satisfaction in a way that now I could understand Lori better um, when she had low blood sugar. And like, well, for example, when it's time to do dishes, somehow she's having low blood sugar. Yeah, yeah, Lori, sure. So in other words, she wasn't getting validation for how she felt. Well, she did use it, I think. But some of the time, you know, she did have low blood sugar, was feeling lousy, and she's getting, yeah, yeah, come on, get the job done. So I, I felt really wonderful that I could share that with her, that now I knew what she was going through and what it's like to be shined on when you're really having, really feeling lousy. So that was, that. I felt that brought us closer. We were pretty close anyway, but... That gave us a special connection that we didn't have before. So there's different ways to look at things. Her blood sugars were very, she she was pretty volatile, and they pretty much were all over the place. And it was it was hard too, very hard. And she had a lot of trouble with uh, when she was 12, and she was in the hospital quite a bit with uh, DKA. And then she was fine for a number of years, and until um, the last five years of her life, her health deteriorated greatly, and, and she died when she was 27. We knew that we would outlive her. It was a matter of whether it be any time or 10 years, God forbid, if she was that unhealthy, you know, and suffering so much for 10 years, or so we knew that we would outlive her. Did you ever have a conversation about that? Mm. Um, I don't think so. No, I don't think I ever said, no, Lori, I I know that you'll die before us. Do you think she knew? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she was too sick not, yeah. We used to give her a birthday card, you know, we say, we're sure next year that, you know, things will be better, and they weren't, they, each year they weren't, and finally we say, we hope, you know, things will be better, and and so the last year of her life, gosh, she was in the hospital for months, and she spent Christmas there, and so forth. She had pneumonia. Uh, she had been given insulin because her blood sugar was high and it was going down and she was given another 10 units and so then it got really low. So it's hard to know exactly what she died of, but uh, she was in the hospital. She, then she was sent to the ICU and her heart stopped and they couldn't revive her. So that was devastating, but in a way she had suffered so much 
so she's over her suffering. After the break, we'll hear how Doris lives with diabetes today without letting it slow her down. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Beta Cell. Each week we'll feature the story of someone living with type 1 diabetes, whether they were just diagnosed or have been living with it for as long as they can remember. But the only way we can do this is with your stories. If you'd like to share it, please email me at craig at betacellpodcast.com. Lori was 12 and puberty and having all these problems and I thought diabetes affects every organ of the body and I'd like to understand more and so I took a physiology course at West LA College and it was wonderful. I had a fascinating teacher. So about 12-15 years later after I had diabetes and before Lori died I thought well I've forgotten a lot. I ought to go back and review. Now I have diabetes, and so I went again. And So then I thought, hmm, it would be interesting to take anatomy, but oh, I wonder if I could learn all that, you know, memorize all those things. That's different from physiology, which is understanding. Anatomy is memorizing. And so I did. I took it for credit. At that time, I was about 58. I was thinking, you know, I've always wanted to be a nurse, and, and I wonder if I could do that. I started nursing school at 60, and uh, started working at, I guess, was 62, 63. And it was a tough job, too. This was a hospital that had very seriously ill people with complex medical problems on dialysis, on ventilators. It was a big adventure. It was an adventure going to nursing school at that age, and it was an adventure to be a nurse. Actually, I sort of came into my own in some ways when I became single at age 63. And um, I climbed Mount Whitney in 04, and that was a big, that had always been a lifetime goal. Uh, that's 14,000 feet, uh, 14,500, and that's the highest uh, mountain in the contiguous United States. I went dog mushing in Alaska when I was 70 for five days, and I drove my own team. I went by myself because everybody thought it would be too cold. No, no, I don't want to go with you. It's too cold. You know, you, in the morning, you get going, and you're out there on the tundra, and then we stop for a snack, but we're, the snack is really for the dogs. You know, you're, you're trying to manage the, the dogs. I mean, what? You've got to think about your diabetes, but you can never forget it entirely. It has to be in the back of your mind all the time. If you're going low, you can't just go on anyway. You've got to get a snack. You've got to get some sugar. Let's see what else. I, I been swimming for many, many years, and for 32 years, up until I was age 72, I would swim in a two-mile ocean race from Hermosa Beach Pier to Manhattan Beach Pier. 
and uh, th that was that was always enjoyable. But it got pretty complicated. I'd have to take off my pump when I wore the pump. I'd have to make sure my blood sugar was high enough that I wasn't going to have a, re a low blood sugar in the ocean. I was in there about two and a half, three hours. The swim took about me, as I got older, about an hour and a half. First, I used to carry Skittles in my, you know, my bathing suit in case I had a low blood sugar. Then I got a, a glucose gel that was, I never had to use it. So what are some of the challenges for you doing all these activities? Okay, so when you're backpacking, you have to remember to take a meter, but if that meter fails, I, I have another meter, so I take along another meter. Um, you take along the insulin, but if the bottle of insulin should drop and break, you have to have a spare. So you take a spare bottle of insulin, too. Uh, you have plenty of strips, blood testing strips. You have to take lots and lots of uh, pump tubing in case your, tu your pump site fails, you need extra. And oh, you have to take syringes in case the pump fails. It's a terrible burden. I mean, life is, you know, life is complicated and busy and there's so many things to occupy your mind and, and but you, you have to take care of this or you're gonna have the dreaded complications. So that's, you have the fear on the one hand of, of not waking up at night or driving and having an accident because it goes down suddenly. Uh, and on the other hand, you have the fear of if you don't get good results and if you're not doing the right thing and if you're not, and if it isn't working out well, you're gonna have the complications and the terrible complications like kidney problems and and blindness and wounds that won't heal. And, and then there's guilt too, you feel guilt if, you, if you're not perfect, if you're human. <laughs> you feel, oh, I should be doing better. <laughs> yeah. And I guess you can give your life over to, you know, just singularly watching your, your diabetes and and may, I think some people maybe do, but, you know, I have a life to live. I have a lot of <laughs> living to do, so I try to do the best I can. Beta Cell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing. And our theme music is by Purple Glitter. I'm on Twitter at Craig Steubing. The show is at Beta Cell Podcast. You can subscribe to our newsletter by going to our website, betacellpodcast.com. Every week, I'll send out a list of news about type 1 diabetes that I think you'll find interesting. I'll also include comments about our episodes from listeners. So send your thoughts to Craig at betacellpodcast.com. If you like Beta Cell, please leave a review on iTunes because it really helps other people find the show. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. <laughs> <laughs>